Listeners, welcome back to Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. We are a podcast that talks about horror movies, and uh, we're not professional critics. We're artists, and you'll hear more about that on this episode. Um, we will spoil the main movies we talk about, and there was something else, wasn't there? Mid-race. Oh, yeah. Well, is there something else that we say we do or don't do? Oh. I don't Did know. We? I don't know. Do we do? <clears throat> I don't know. Uh, we're not professional critics. I'm new to the show. Yeah. Well, First episode. Welcome, Will, welcome. to the show. Uh, thank you to the Moon Rays for giving us that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. You can find the music on iTunes or Amazon, where you can buy them digitally. Um, or, you know, go to an old-timey store with books and music and buy an old CD. Having or said that... Or, yeah, you know, you could find something in, in the cellophane still. It would be really cool. Um, having said that, here we are, episode 98, right? I believe so. Wow. We've almost, we've done over 100 of these if you count a couple of the interviews that weren't numbered. But as far as us sitting in these chairs, talking into these mics, 98. Do you feel? Do you feel ninety-eight, you guys? Oh yeah, we're we're much slicker and well-informed now. Yeah, I would like to think so. <laughs> the shows have only gotten better, if not yeah. devolved into <laughs> mumbled yeah. half sentences in our terrible accents. <laughs> That's true. I've listened to some podcasts that I've since stopped listening to, where they were clearly drunk, like just drunk. And it's like, eh, you know, that's cool to a point, but you might want to pump the brakes on that a little bit. So, uh, we're your hosts. I'm Richard. I'm here with Will. Hello. And Jolian. Hello. Guys, what have you watched since we did this thing last? Oh, boy. I have a short list. You want me to go? He's got a book. <laughs> I got a whole book here. No, I watched a few things. I actually wrote them down this time, though, because I forgot... It looks like you drew some stuff, too. I forgot this one from last week as I watched The Defenders. How was, oh. how was that? It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like the uh, Daredevil series? I don't like Daredevil. I didn't watch Iron Fist. I really liked Jessica Jones, and Luke Cage was pretty good. Yeah. Luke Cage had a couple spots that I didn't care for so much. Jessica Jones was a lot better, although it still had a maybe a misstep here or there but um this one was just i don't know i i find daredevil as a character very annoying i don't it's like a really (laughs) whiny woe is me character but he, he doesn't have i don't know peter parker's bad luck something about i mean he has terrible luck too in a way 
They're both these whiny, good-looking guys who get more girlfriends. And exactly. And I, I, I was just going to say he's a, a Peter Parker is a bit of a, a a peppy sad sack, if that makes sense. Yeah. So uh, anyway, but to have Jessica Jones and Luke Cage fighting ninjas essentially just didn't <laughs> just seemed like the same episode over and over for eight of them. And, yeah. Uh, minus the first two, which was kind of to catch everybody up with where everybody was. Um, and if you hadn't watched any of the shows, you kind of got a recap episode of, you know, who the iron fist was mm. or, because nobody watched that series. Oh, well they, they fill in the blanks for you then. Yeah. So, uh, from there I watched a lot of, uh, TV cause Comet is like over the air sci-fi channel. Oh, I don't with, think I know uh, this movies. one. Movies, yeah, it's on channel something something. <laughs> so you can get it with a digital antenna. <laughs> yeah, two point three. Nice. But I watched uh, Amityville Horror and American Werewolf in London, just because they were on. I like TV to your, choose your face things was for me. Pointed at it. Yeah, exactly. So and, let's uh, let's put a pin in that real quick about uh, American Werewolf in London. What year did that come out? 81. Who did the special effects? Baker. Okay. We're going to revisit that in a bit. Okay. <laughs> Are you going to bring up the special effects and poultry guys? Mm, Funhouse. Funhouse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So anyway, well, like I said, we'll, we'll come, um, come back around. Go ahead. Sorry. No, that's fine. And then I watched Invasion of the Body Snatchers, which I hadn't seen in a long time. Which more. As I like to think of it. Kurt Vonnegut saves the universe. Which <laughs> Donald Sutherland plays Kurt Vonnegut. Basically, yeah. But not, I mean, Kurt Vonnegut seemed, I imagine, was much more of a sad sack like Peter Parker or Matt Murdock than, mm. yeah. than Donald Sutherland is in that movie. What do you, what do you think Hemingway was like? Uh, drunk? <laughs> drunk and pugnacious. I don't know. I like his short stories. Yeah. He wrote that one about the baby shoes. I don't know that one. Uh, they had some contest. I don't know if it really happened, but like the write the shortest, saddest story ever. It was like for sale, baby shoes, never worn. <laughs> was the one Hemingway wore, wrote. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> it sounds like that. The shortest, scariest story. Somebody posted this on whatever. It's like someone wakes up to find a picture of themselves sleeping on on their cell phone. I live alone. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty good. And, and sad, too. I live alone. Yeah. <laughs> you live alone. Sorry, loser. Some monster took your picture. You don't live alone after all, do you? You got a, a friggin' ghost or a monster. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, was that it? Uh, and then I watched some uh, episodes of Master of None. How is and Z's and Sorry? Oh yeah, that the one. Z's and Sorry. Yeah, I watched a few of those. I oh. thought the first season was funny enough. I didn't watch all of them. Right. I've really liked the second season. He's really kind of branched out and tried to make the episodes like little films. Yeah. And uh, it seems like he's watched a lot of films. And uh, 
kind of have some real love of filmmaking. So, um, pretty good. And yeah. still funny. Cool. Was that it for the list? That's it. Jolien, what about you? Okay. Uh, not that many because I had the convention last weekend, but uh, I started reading this uh, this book, and our uh, friend um, Stephen will be very interested in this book. Oh. Uh, recommend it to him. Um, uh, it's called Hitler's Monsters by Eric Kurlander. It's a new book, and it's, uh, it's very soberly written. I mean, it's readable, but it's it's academic. Every you know everything he refers to has got a like um, backup and you know the notes for where he got all his statements and conjectures and facts from. Oh, um, so it, it's like it's not at all like a History Channel thing. Okay, um, but it's really interesting. So it traces uh the use of the supernatural from the 19th century uh through the fall of the third reich the wool and all that yeah the full society yeah uh yeah it and another another reason it might be soberly written is because it's so bizarre yeah uh the stuff in here is just so weird that do they have like the hollow earth and not got to that yet. Okay. It's got the world ice theory and okay. uh, yeah, um, the use of astrology and yeah. Um, so yeah, it's very strange. So I, I like uh, um, I made a you know bookmarks in for where the first couple of werewolf uh, references are, but Nazi werewolves, Nazi werewolves. Yeah, because like. Uh, one of the early groups before the National Socialist Party itself came into being uh, was the Werewolf Group. What? Uh, yeah. And like from the 19th century, there was uh, the, there were German novels which were holding up the werewolf as a kind of folk hero, defending the land against foreign invaders. Interesting. And, yeah. Um, After the war, uh, the werewolves were like resistance we'd say fighters they, yeah, they, they were germany's uh nazi sympathizers so they were like the ronin they were the masterless they were, they yeah, were going around it was like this unit uh there's a picture of a kind dead, of guerrilla fighting unit yeah okay. like uh the werewolf group at, at the uh, the end of the uh second world war were um to fight uh the uh oncoming russians mm-hmm um, but anyway, um, yeah, uh, here's, here's a bit from page 53. The supernatural Im- imaginary of Himmler and other Nazis included a fascination with werewolves. According to one of Alfred Rosenberg's subordinates, unlike in France, the Slavic East, where werewolves were associated with witchcraft and the power of the devil, werewolves played a largely positive role in pagan German tradition. Even in present-day Germany, so this is 1923... Rosenberg's associate argued there are many cases of the good werewolf who accompany evening wanderers in Westphalia and protect the homes of peasants against the common wood wolves in East Prussia. Alongside the Germanic folklore revival, the uncanny word werewolf was resuscitated in Germany by Hermann Lund's revenge fantasy, The Werewolf, which was read almost as widely in the interwar period as Dinter's The Sin of the Blood. And it goes on from there. Wow. But, yeah, really interesting book. Uh, Stephen should 
that's Definitely check it out. Yeah, that's he's, the, he's the professor of werewolves and all that. He is the professor of werewolves. Uh, anyway, um, so I got back from... I, I was a uh, guest at the um, Fort Collins Comic Convention, uh, which was very nice. Thank you to everyone there. Uh, but then I got back from that and uh, caught up on mail and stuff and found out that Toby Hooper had died. Yeah, that was um, surprising. Yeah. And you know, none of us had any idea that that would be happening. Mm-hmm. Or he would be killed with a chainsaw. Yeah. Is it apropos or ironic? I'm not sure. So, like, uh, so the next night I watched uh, Invaders from Mars. Oh, man. Because that's one of the ones I haven't just haven't seen that often. So I wanted to check it out again. Have you seen that one? Uh-huh. I love that movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Even though, I will spoil it right now. Even though it has the much-hated It Was All a Dream ending, I mm-hmm. loved it in that movie. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. A lot of times that ending does not work, and it makes the audience feel like they mm-hmm. wasted their time. Yeah. I think this one uh, works because it gives you that false sense of hope for a second, mm-hmm. and then it all happens again, <laughs> and you're like, oh, he's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do, I like the, uh, I love the original one. Oh yes, and Cameron Menzies more. It I was really love that. Stylized. I f- yeah, I felt the original. It was, I could tell it was the vision of this person. It was a really peculiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the original is, is a really lot designed. Better. I saw this one first though, mm-hmm. and it's always got kind of a soft spot for yeah me, I, for it. I mean, it's very likable. You got Karen Black and her son. Yeah, have the leads in it. Um, Karen Black and uh, Hunter Carson, um, and then you got James Caron, who had been in Return of the Living Dead, okay. which Toby Hooper had been set to direct it. Right. Uh, and you got Jimmy Hunt, the kid from the original movie, as the police chief. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and screenplay by Dana Bannon and Doc Jacoby, Don Jacoby, and. Uh, the Martian creatures were by Stan Winston's team. That seems right. And John Dykstra <clears throat> yeah. did a lot of the other special effects. And the uh, director, director of photography was Danny Pearl from Texas Chainsaw. And uh, the father of Hunter Carson was Kit Carson, who wrote Texas Chainsaw 2. Oh. Um, yeah, so uh, yeah, it's enjoyable. I. I I didn't think it was his, it's not my favorite. Oh no. My top uh, certainly my top not. Hooper, Hooper films but uh, yeah, quite enjoyable. Definitely got some of his touches in there, you know. Yes. Um oh by the way, um today uh Shockwaves did a, a show where like the second half of it there is a Hooper tribute so they've got people, you know. Those thieving bastards. You know, a lot of them have actually <laughs> met him or worked with him. Or... Unlike us. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to hear like people who are like, you know, inside and informed. Connected. And, yeah. Then, then listen to the Shockwaves episode. It's a, it's a great I podcast. Have no yeah. information. Yeah. But... That uh, episode just downloaded this afternoon because I subscribe. Mm-hmm. So I was at work and, and uh, I saw the little notification on the front screen of my phone and it's but like, do oh. they have helicopters and dogs in the background um well, no well, obviously people's first choice is us because you know you want to hear three friends in a shed at the bottom of a garden yeah helicopter noises occasional dogs 
Sometimes a crackhead. <laughs> Crackheads yelling and screaming outside. <laughs> yeah. And then you go to the informed. And then you insiders. go to the informed inside. Yeah, yeah. So that's how it works. Yeah. Contrast and Saw compare. this movie. <laughs> yeah, watch some TV. Did, yeah. I, did I tell you my... It was um, on. My idea to... Uh, to make this alley behind the garage here uh, more frightening for crackheads. Other than putting up cameras or spotlights, the best thing you can do you is... You found photos of their mothers. That's a good idea. I was going to get a quick change um, Jason Voorhees costume. <laughs> you know, just like a army jacket that's brushed to look all glossy and wet with a bunch of like seaweed kind of glued to it and mm. the hockey mask. And just kind of like step out through the gate and just stand there sort of seething. <laughs> and just stand there and stare. Or smiling. They wouldn't know. You're they, wearing yeah, a mask. Yeah. Yeah. Seething. <laughs> so know. what else did you watch? Uh, we started watching uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead Season 2. How Have you seen it? that one? No. Oh, you Not need to check it out. There's this one of the early episodes. Everyone who's seen it will know what I'm talking about. He's, he goes into this mortuary and something happens in there. I was just crying, laughing. It's All right. Unbelievable. <laughs> okay, where is it available? Um, it, it was a Star series, but it just came out, the DVD. Oh, okay. Just recently. Blu-ray. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, check it out. Uh, I, all right, I'll tell you this. Uh, his dad turns up, mm-hmm. and you'll love who plays his dad. I remember hearing about this, and I... Can't and remember. Also, who it was. his car, the classic, yeah, becomes a deadite. Oh. <laughs> a possessed car. Yeah, I love it, and it's awesome. I love it. Yeah, if you watch, if you're into watching evil car movies, this is excellent. Oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, uh, check it out. Um, all right, uh, and you lent me I Madman from 1989. What did you think? Uh, I, um, I thought it was interesting. I didn't love it. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen this one? I don't believe so. Uh, yeah, I handed it back to you. Um, so this one is about this uh, uh, woman who works at a second-hand bookstore in uh, Los Angeles. She's not far from the Grauman's. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's gotten into these couple of novels um, written by Malcolm Brand. And as she reads them, she's kind of freaked out and scared by them, but she's still fascinated. And you also get um, scenes from the 50s when he was active. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she's in that as well. So she's... Imagines herself into the setting. So he starts appearing in her life in 1989. And there's some crossover going on. Yeah. And he's up to no good and... Um, he's, he's fixated on her. Um, she's played by Jenny Wright of Near Dark, mm-hmm. uh, and she was she was one of the groupies in the Wall. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you I remember? I, I mentioned that yes, last week <laughs> or last time we recorded. Uh, Detective Richard is mm-hmm. played by Clayton Rona, who was in Human Centipede Three. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't uh, know. <laughs> uh, the pianist is played by Bruce Wagner, who was the co-writer of. What became Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Oh. And you also wrote the story that became uh, David Cronenberg's Map, Map to the Stars. Interesting. Uh, I thought it was a near miss. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think it had enough visual flair. Like, especially when it goes into the period stuff. 
Um, they're obviously working with the low budgets. So they're having to shoot like buildings that still look like they were back in the day and mm-hmm. so on. Um, but I just it just popped into my head. You know what what would someone like Jacques Tourneur have done with same budget, same setup? Yeah. Uh, you know, there'd be more striking lighting and so on. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, no, I didn't like the, the chintzy synth stuff on the soundtrack. There's some good, like, kind of chamber music bits in there, but that, yeah. that kind of spoiled it a bit. A lot of movies from that era suffered from Cassioitis. <laughs> and, and I didn't know the stakes until about an hour in. You don't know what he's, <clears throat> what threat he is to her, right? What he, he intends to do, and that's the pacing issue that I mentioned. Like, it kind of, you know, would would get some momentum going and then yeah. lose it, right? Get it going and lose it, and then finally you're 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 starting to wonder, well, uh, what's the point? Where 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 is he going? What's he want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's and you don't know. He looks great. Yeah. Uh, so he's played by uh, Randall William Cook, who also did the effects and and he went on to win oscars for the uh, lord of the rings movies right he knows how to make an orc yeah and yeah and you can see a bit of orc in it but he's also <laughs> got this kind of like uh 20s german like nosferatu eyebrows and yeah uh things like that uh he's pretty interesting and his look is different each time because of what he what he's up to mm. um and on, so that's that's a positive thing. The stop motion jackal boy is cool. Yeah, right? and he's integrated into the live action really well. Hmm. Yeah, it's as good as it could be at the time, mm-hmm. I think. And that's what I mentioned. Like, it it was kind of Army of Darkness level to where you're seeing yeah, a thing it's, it's good. Yeah. and it looks good enough, but you can kind of you know yeah, see you, that it's not real. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. Yeah. So so that's, that was done by. Ru- Randall William Cook as well, um, uh, and, it's, and it's got some really good uh, uh, bits in it. Like uh, there's this uh, one shot; it's like a held shot where she's in her apartment. She gets up off the couch, crosses into shadow, and comes out, and she's back in '59. Oh, it's all in one shot, and, and it's done so. It's there's no like big musical sting or anything. It just happens and before your eyes, so it's quite effective. Um, and there's a good bit towards the end where um, there's like it's f- there's a, a fight in the, uh, the her bookstore mm-hmm. and she's trying to go up these stairs, but there's this huge flood of all these National Geographic's coming down the stairs, so she can't <laughs> get a purchase. It's really quite nightmarish. Um, that, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, and so uh, Against the Wind, which is a 1948 uh, war movie, British war movie by Charles Crichton. Uh, Ealing Studios, uh, really nice looking, very dark in both senses. Uh, Simone Signore, Gordon Douglas, very young Gordon Douglas, Jack Warner, um, and it's about like operations by the SOE. Um, so this is another one of those war movies, which is like if you're a fan of James Bond, is I'd recommend checking it out because it shows like the, the brutal life and and um, the treacheries and tragedies that go on. And there's there's the scenes where uh, they're they're picking up um, sabotage equipment, and so there's this, and you just think, oh, it's, this is the Q branch. This is where it came from because like they got all these things like uh, sabo and and you know, uh, bits of food like sausages, which they've 
they're hollowed out and stuffed with explosives and there's always different timers wow and they've even got this like uh, set up where they got these like uh, big round balls of like um cow poo or something mm-hmm. and that they they put little explosives in there so you can just scatter them on the road and it'll take out some tires oh okay <laughs> but uh yeah i enjoyed that one um and uh uh sort of colossal um, you heard of that one? one. Um, so that's from last year. It took a while oh, to get okay. off the festival circuit and into theatres. Uh, this is directed by uh, Nacho Vigalondo, who who worked on he did stories for the ABC's Death and VHS uh, Viral, and it's got Anne Hathaway in it. Um, and uh, I wasn't expecting to like this much because um, I heard it was like a romantic comedy. With which happened to have some weird giant monster stuff in it. Hmm. Uh, it's not really a romantic comedy. Um, not much of a romance goes on it in, <laughs> in it at all. Uh, the relationships are all pretty creepy. She's not likable for like much of the movie. Um, she's kind of this woman who gloms onto guys who who are being quite successful and, um, but. Uh, yeah, so the the premise is she realises that she's got some kind of link with this giant monster that appears in Seoul at five past eight. And, uh, yeah, it, it goes from there. So if if you're into... Um, if, uh, I, I found a lot of um, like American critics who were nonplussed by it. They thought it was just weird. They couldn't really understand it. They found it confusing. But uh, if you're used to giant monsters and, you know, if you watched Ultraman shows, especially, uh, especially ones from the 60s, it would be a really familiar sort of setup of some interesting. some ordinary person having a link with a giant monster. Yeah. And uh, other giant things turn up. Uh, yeah. So I, I ended up you know, pretty enjoying it. It's, it looks great. Um, if you like this kind of plot, I'd recommend like... The early Ultra series, like uh, Ultra Q, and also check out uh, Gamera Three, where you've got this like uh, angry girl who's got a link with a incredibly powerful creature. Hmm. Um, uh, but there's been several of these movies recently. Uh, like there's Demiking the Sea Monster and uh, A Monster Calls, where the giant there's a giant monster in it, but it's kind of a subplot, and it's all about the the characters. And, yeah. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I kind of like that one. I was surprised. Um, also today got the uh, the arrival of the uh, Blu-ray of the Manster. Manster. Uh, it looks really really good. I mean, I um, all I've had up to now is like a poor quality uh, discs and tapes and things, and, uh, and this is looks really nice. And the Ultimate Edition would have the Japanese cut as well, but. Um, that probably doesn't exist anymore. I want to pronounce it like Peter Laurie would say it. The Manster. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I love that movie. So, uh, yeah, it looks good. I recommend it. My turn? Yep. It's a short list. Had a pretty busy week. Um, I did watch um, The Fun House mm-hmm. and the che- Texas... <clears throat> say that again. It was a little dog named Snuggles. Um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Which and one? 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That was the one in Texas, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. It filmed in and around uh, the greater Austin area, I mm. believe. Uh, Round Rock, I think, was in the area where they filmed it. I did want to watch it again, but um, normal people get a holiday weekend. Uh-huh. So Emily came home early, so yeah, didn't get a chance to see it. She doesn't yeah. want to watch Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She's seen it once. We worked oh, yeah. up to it, and I felt she was ready for it and she watched it and she thought it was really good and she doesn't want to see it again oh man it's just too much yeah and that disturbing, and, which i understand and i have to have the same consideration because you know not everybody wants to watch that movie no. just on a whim mm-hmm. you know um she was fine with most of it but the animal stuff yeah yeah and that's hard mm-hmm. uh a lot of that stuff was just roadkill or incidentally dead animals that they dragged when, to the set when they're cruising past the uh, slaughterhouse oh yeah and you see all those sad yeah cows with their faces dripping and yeah it's, it's, those yeah. cows would be dead by now anyway they would have died of old age within a couple of years of that movie um i watched a uh, documentary called scenesters Music Mayhem and Melrose Avenue, 1985 to 1990. <laughs> it was basically just about the... Uh, Scenesters on Melrose Avenue between 1985 and 1990? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> as, as you might the guess. The title is also the summary. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it, was, it was kind of uh, about that mix of everything from hair metal, like really foofy stuff like Poison, all the way to like Jane's Addiction. So things like that. And all the people who were sort of behind the scenes, club owners, people who frequented clubs, uh-huh. people in bands, people who promoted or produced the bands. Drunks. Drunks, degenerates. Isn't there like a radio station here, which is just hair metal? It's called Hair Something. Oh, Hair Nation? That, yeah, that, yeah. That's a... Um, that is a uh, satellite station. Right. Yeah, it's weird. Um, and there are some people who really hold a grudge that the next scene came along and kind of knocked that one out of popularity. And I could imagine if your band was about to release an album and everything was looking all thumbs up and all of a sudden, mm. holy crap, everyone loves Nirvana. I can understand why you'd be a yeah. little miffed. Uh, but it was time for a change. It was getting mm-hmm. just really ridiculous and uh, a lot of a lot of those bands lacked sincerity and then some bands came along that were not insincere and truly didn't care i mean they were just there to make the music they wanted to make and there was that a kind of avant-garde attitude or cavalier attitude however you want to look at it of bands that were just like i don't care if i get successful i just want to make this noise there's something really attractive about that after mm-hmm. things got so overblown but at the same time, the bands that were coming out of the L.A. scene, like Jane's Addiction and the early version of the Red Hot Chili Peppers, uh, you know, they, they had some longevity because they weren't like everything else. So it was interesting to see that. Um, I watch these documentaries whenever I run across them. There was one about the Chicago scene from the 80s, you know, with bands like anything Steve Albini was involved with. Oh, yeah. Big Black, bands like that. Yes. Um, so that, it's pretty cool when What's you that? run across those. Called? That one was called, um, I want to say. Chicago Scenesters, <laughs> Cicero <laughs> Avenue, 1985 to 1990. Uh, it wouldn't be Cicero, but yeah, that's a good. No, but it's the only street I knew. <laughs> because it goes past Midway Airport? 
Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say probably, oh, oh, never mind, Clark Street or something. Okay. Um, let's see if I can pull this up on IMDb because I want to say it had, um, you. I think it was called You Weren't There. Uh, let's see if that. You weren't there. Uh, let's see. You weren't this cool. <laughs> Man, Born there's... late and all. Let's try. Let's try this again here. Uh, damn it. Uh, yeah, it was called "You Weren't There: A History of Chicago Punk, 1977 to 1984." <laughs> this might be from the same production company. I believe it may be. <laughs> it's a distinct possibility, but it's it's a it's a good documentary. What was that one about? Uh, let's see. It was about <laughs> yeah, the punk scene. Where Chicago? When? Uh, roughly between 77 and 84, you know, give or take. And that was Chicago, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, people did come there from other places, but, uh, you know. Anyway, that's a good one, too, if you ever want to watch that. I was watching that the first time I heard someone unload a clip on a semi-automatic weapon for no reason that I could tell. Hey, welcome to this neighborhood. It's gotten better. I think I... Um, now they can serve bullets. Yeah. <laughs> That's another story for another time. Anyway, um, got my Toby Hooper fix, got my documentary fix. It was a busy week, so I didn't get to watch much else. Just some light background watching of television that I don't care about. Having said all that, um, Toby Hooper, no longer with us. Um, unexpectedly gone, yeah. just like two years ago today, or yes, it was recently anyway, that Wes Craven died. Mm-hmm. It's the anniversary of that death. So... It's probably a good sort of uh, reminder that the new directors are going to um, have to take more responsibility and do more work because the old ones are dying just by virtue of age and um, mortality. So there's that. But and mask-wearing killers. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't it be weird if, like, a famous like let's i don't want to say any names but you know cuz we've killed before <laughs> we yeah so let's say some other old director George Romero we're yeah. safe he he just died too yeah let's say some cannibalistic monster burst in and bit him and he bled out you know how weird would that be if that's how they died oh, just like when Jack Cousteau drowned his bathtub <laughs> that would be terrible that would be terrible Somebody believed that. For just a second. For a story. No longer than a second. An embarrassing long time. So you said this and someone believed it and you didn't I clarify? No, I very rarely clarified anything stupid I ever said. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, so uh, what was your first exposure to Toby Hooper's movies, Will? Um, I'm going to guess it was probably uh, Poltergeist, which mm. is what I watched. Although yeah. Toby Hooper had nothing to do with it. So <laughs> well, that's not funny. true. Uh, he wasn't even on set, I he heard. Was. <laughs> he was there. He was there in name only. <laughs> no, I have no idea. But watching this movie again, I don't feel it's Toby Hooper at all. I really, other than maybe skeletons popping out of the ground. 
Well, yeah, the the um, was it the cinematographer's son? I think said that uh, it was you know having been on set, it was pretty clear that Spielberg was doing most of the directing. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because apparently there were some some politics involved with. Uh, he couldn't direct the director's two guild. movies in a, in the same time. And there was an impending strike. Yeah, and he wanted both those movies at the same time, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Yeah. And they were both friends who collaborated in several projects. Right. So, so if it they, wasn't an animosity thing. No. So if they Oh, had, no, no. There was nothing. I don't think there was anything no. sinister behind any of this. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that they used actual bodies, <laughs> that is pretty <laughs> and that sinister. And the movie killed several people. <clears throat> there's a pl- <laughs> there's a place in Los Angeles where you can rent realistic corpses. It's called Dapper Cadaver. Really? Yeah. Only but only you, realistic ones, not you, actual. Well, there's probably bad ones too, but uh, they also have real skeletons and real bones you can rent or buy, I suppose. But. Uh, for all your corpse needs, I dapper want cadaver. my body donated to the costume shop down on the street, on the corner there, down the street. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, you can make a documentary better. Yeah. So you feel like this was your first Toby Hooper movie you saw? Yeah. Back although, in the day? as a child, I always thought this was a Steven Spielberg movie. Well, yeah. Um, and then, I don't know. I've watched a lot of his looking back on on uh, uh, all the releases. I didn't realize, having seen them a long time ago as a kid, I didn't realize they were all Toby Hooper. Like uh, Life Force. Mm-hmm. I've seen that one a right. couple times. <laughs> I love that movie. Especially when you're a teenager. Yeah, that movie's great. It's got a uh, bunch of nudity. Um... Invaders from Mars. Yeah. I didn't realize it was his. Now, now, when you first saw his name, because no one was going to say it out loud, it's just, you've seen the name Toby spelled T-O-B-Y. Tobe? And so you see this yeah, name. Yeah, when and I was a like, kid, I thought it was Tobe. I think I everybody thought it was, thought it was Tobe. Yeah. And then finally you heard someone say Toby, and I'm thinking, you don't know how to pronounce Tobe, stupid. <laughs> For whatever reason, though, I, and I've seen a lot of his movies, you know, and I eventually watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre, all that. Um... There was one called Dark that's on Netflix. The Dark, yeah. The Dark that I've not seen, I don't hmm. believe. I've not seen that. Um, I think it's on Netflix. Is it? Because um, it was either that or Poltergeist last night, and I thought I'd pick Poltergeist to be yeah. ironic. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was you there. Since Toby Hooper was nowhere near <laughs> the filming of Poltergeist. <laughs> Spielberg said, I want him two blocks away at all times. <laughs> at all times. <laughs> see the cul-de-sac? I don't want to <laughs> see him. I don't want to hear him. <laughs> uh, no, it, it, I think the controversy has been sort of sorted out by now, but uh, I would Toby say... Toby Hooper had nothing to do with Poltergeist. <laughs> I've seen the movie myself. <laughs> It feels nothing like Funhouse. It feels super Amblin. (laughs) It feels very Spielbergian. Spielberg has this, I don't know, a part of it is a suburban setting where Toby Hooper doesn't come across as suburban at all in any of his movies. Um, 
I was trying to think, I, you know, I wish I had watched a whole bunch of his movies so I could pick up on little touches that are there. But trying to remember Fun House felt very Toby Hooper. I watched Fun House and I watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, which I might actually prefer to the original. You know, it's funny you mentioned that, uh, that uh, Toby Hooper's not comfortable in the suburbs because he couldn't get out of that house in the burbs quick enough to get everybody down to the carnival. Yeah, I know. Uh, but there, there's some sort of, it's more of a working class feel, I think, in, in those movies than Spielberg's kind of suburban setting. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a really sort of out of touch and really comfortable lifestyle that you know the people have. And I think it works well for Spielberg. I mean, he used it in E.T. and Close Encounters is all sort mm. of the same kind of family I mean, yeah, dynamic living situation, you know, which I think works really well. It's a quick read. You know who these people are, right? And now here comes the amazing bit. Yeah, you know, um, I liked at least in Poltergeist, they were willing to accept it quickly, and we didn't have to suffer through the endless. It's not real, right? You know. Mom was like, check out this chair trick. Right. Immediately. Um, <clears throat> Jean didn't want to watch this because this movie scared her. Oh, the clown and the face tearing off and all that crap? Yeah. So I, was, I had to give her a pep talk before we watched this. <laughs> She's now a seasoned horror movie professional and has watched lots of things that are way worse than Poltergeist. And that's all our fault, isn't it? Oh, yes, certainly. Well, she I've, dabbles in the dark arts. She does, but I've made her watch a lot of <laughs> horror movies. <laughs> so I was going to make her watch Texas Chainsaw. I don't believe she's seen it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't make Emily watch that. Uh, but she knew it was one, one of my like, top three horror yeah. movies. And, uh, so she wanted to see it someday. Yeah, and she'd heard heard it mentioned so often because it's so. Oh, it's yeah, infamous. It's infamous. It's iconic. Mm. Um, how old were you when you first saw it, Will? Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, mm, probably twelve or thirteen. That's about the right age to it see it. It was pretty freaky. <laughs> I remember being pretty freaked out by the end of it. You know. Yeah. Uh, you think that girl's gonna get out? And he just stuffs her back in the freezer. Yeah. Oh, she's still alive. Good. Maybe she'll get away. Nope. Yeah. Oh, God. That's stuff. Then I, I didn't watch it for a long time. For some reason, we didn't. I don't remember if Texas Chainsaw was maybe one that there are a couple movies that my friend whose mom ran a video shop. We watched most of the movies from her. Um, I remember there being a couple that were like on the she didn't want us to see those for whatever reason. Most things. They didn't care what we watched. Right. So it was always kind of strange that they'd be like, oh, no, you can't watch. But I, I wonder if Texas Chainsaw Massacre was on there because I don't remember watching it a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas some of these, you know, horror movies I watched numerous times. I, I remember watching Poltergeist, Poltergeist 2, a lot. Yeah. Julian, do you remember the first time you saw Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, I do been in my 20s, I think. Yeah. I mean, you couldn't see it in England when I was a kid. Video nasties. You couldn't even have Chainsaw on a title. Yeah. 
when can uh, you have massacre Hollywood chainsaw hookers came out they they just had a graphic in the middle of the just a picture of a chainsaw yeah oh. I think I remember that from that documentary that one the one about the video nasties mm-hmm. oh man what was that one about <laughs> it was about the punk scene in Los Angeles so like the first time I saw during it, what it time on video yeah yeah I saw it on video in, in this country oh mm-hmm. okay and were were you immediately blown away by it? Yep. Um, the hype didn't ruin it. And I saw it on video, so it was cropped and looked. Oh yeah. Rubbish. Um, but yeah. It's, yeah, that it's, I it, think it. that I think that actually added to mm-hmm. the. I don't know the believability behind right. it because it looked like at least when I saw it, it looked like a terrible snuff film, yeah. and I had heard a lot of stuff about it. This was one of those that was like. I remember watching Halloween as a kid, and that may have been another one on the li- on the quote list that she had. Uh, my friend's mom had. It was one that was like, "Oh, you can't watch that. That's mm. too scary." Um, yet, uh, what was that movie called? Uh, Hardware. Oh yeah, Richard Stanley. Yeah, no problem with us watching that movie, mm-hmm. but I remember there was big con- controversy about that. Yeah, at least rating wise, and then. Okay. Some of it was also the story, I guess, he adopted mm. without credit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I just remember it was really raw. Um, yeah, that's... But, but you know, having friends who seemed to have access to more horror movies than I did, you, you had all these stories about how gory it was. Oh, I know. And they describe in loving detail all the, the gore in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Just gallons of blood. Yeah, it all turned out to be made up. I know. Well, people... That's part of the brilliance of that movie. Yeah. It's just how much is just suggestion. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, yeah. Like, ever since Hitchcock did it, um, it seems like anyone who who uh, has a brain in their head is going to go with the suggestion, knowing that the audience is going to fill in all those blanks themselves. Um, Tarantino in Pulp Fiction... How many people are like, oh, it's so gross. The needle goes right into her chest. No, you see John Travolta swing his arm down with a hypodermic needle, and then you see Uma Thurman sit up. Yeah. Gasping. But you felt all that in. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's all suggestion. And, and Hitchcock did it first, did it best. But, man, everyone who's, who's really thought about it has just said, you know what? I don't need to sh- figure out how to make that meat hook go into that girl's back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just have the big guy lift her up. Have her scream. It's easy. And it worked, obviously. Mm-hmm. People will tell you how gory it was that hook went into her back. Yeah. 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 I remember hearing the same thing when I was a kid. It was mm-hmm. like, oh my God, buckets of blood. Mm. Yeah. Just. But this movie just, it smells of meat. You just feel, you oh. can smell the sweat and the, uh-huh. yeah. the flesh and oh. But in real life, you actually could, by all accounts, because it was oh, gross. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's disgusting. They were filming under high temperatures with and the yeah, windows closed off and once, a room full of meat. <laughs> once I read an interview with the guy who played Leatherface, and he said he couldn't see through the mask. Mm-hmm. I've never been able to watch the movie since then and not seen him stumbling about. Mm-hmm. If you watch him walk at all, you're like, oh, you can tell he really cannot see. And uh, kind of removed all the fear. <laughs> and Gunnar Hansen did say that he, uh, as part of his preparation for the role, had decided that this was a mentally handicapped guy. Or maybe he was told that by uh, Toby Hooper. 
and he did actually visit a special needs school and sort of studied how everyone moved and acted and behaved and said, you know, I'm going to incorporate a lot of that because that's this guy is just a great big giant version of who he would have been as a kid. Yeah. With a human flesh mask and a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. So why not? But they also expect him to act as a mother. Yeah. It's kind of weird, isn't it? Like different roles. Yeah, like, he has different masks. Like yeah. He has a mother mask. His lady, his pretty lady mama mask. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I remember the first time I saw that, I went, ooh, that's weird. Okay, so <laughs> it's got makeup on it now. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's weird. Um, sure. I have a, a really funny first experience with this one myself was that I have an older sister who's uh, 10 years older than me. So back in the 70s, when, and I know we were on some road trip, we were living in Chicago, my older sister, she's half sister from my dad's first marriage. Uh, She was in Iowa. So you're out in the sticks for a good portion of this drive. And I remember, uh, I think it was her first husband, so she would have been in her 20s. Uh, we were all riding in this big station wagon and I remember them talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and they were going to go see it at a drive-in and they heard from somebody how how it should have been rated X. It was so violent and so crazy and uh, all this stuff they were talking about and it was already fabled and it had only been out for maybe two or three years at this point. And I was a kid. So, um, you know, she, so she was probably 19 or 20 maybe early 20s, which would have put me, you know, 10 or 11 years old. And I'm hearing this and I'm thinking, oh, that sounds awful. It's mm-hmm. a chainsaw massacre. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. You think of massacres. Did this really happen? <laughs> right. And there, I don't know if you've ever heard the rumors that, oh, it was based on a real story. Yeah. The, uh, that was a big thing that people played up to. Yeah. I mean, the character of Leatherface and some some plot points were... Based on Ed Gein, very loosely. Who was so in was Texas Psycho at all? Right, he was in Wisconsin. Never used a chainsaw. Right, only killed two people. Yeah, only two. Only two. That doesn't even qualify. He was a serial killer. Yeah, you're just a just a plain old killer. That's <laughs> yeah. just a hobbyist. Yeah, it's a hobbyist. You're not a pro yet. So yeah, uh, driving in sort of a farm country in a station wagon during summer and hearing about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Little did I realize that that's the perfect setting to hear about it. Yeah. For, you know, what I could experience at the time, what would really be perfect would be if you were in Texas, of course, which years later, after having seen the movie, um, Caitlin and I headed down to Austin for a handmade fair that we were selling our wares at. And there's sort of this thing these days of, well, we don't need a map. We have our phones. We have navigation on our phones. Just pull up maps. Until you get in the middle of some part of Texas where there's no signal whatsoever <laughs> at all, and your phone is useless. It's become a doorstop. And there's these rundown towns that you have to drive through on your weird little highway, this little two-lane highway, and you see these rundown buildings that do not look occupied. There's only vehicles outside of them are rusty and broken down. And there are speed limit signs. And I will dare not go over the speed limit because I think if there's some sheriff mm-hmm. and the only source of revenue is writing me a ticket, 
I don't want to be stopped for five minutes. I am driving through. Here in Murderburg. <laughs> right. Murderburg, Texas. Population not telling you. <laughs> so, yeah, it was weird because she has not seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and I have a few times. So all of this is playing in the back of my mind the whole time we're driving. Luckily, it was a newer vehicle, and I didn't have to think about, oh, my God, this thing's going to overheat. We're going to be broken down in this. Looks just like that place in the movie. <laughs> so uh, that's my, my personal experience with it was hearing about it. And then finally, when I was probably 16, uh, got to rent it on VHS back in those days and watch it for the first time. And uh, I probably imagined more of the, you know, uh, blood and puncturing than what really did happen. Because there's not much at all. Mm-hmm. So a lot of suggestion. Have you ever heard, Julian, anything about um, Hitchcock being an influence on Toby Hooper? Yeah, and he, he loved uh, Kubrick and Hitchcock. It makes a lot of sense. I did see some good one-point perspective in the movie, um, which would be a lot of Kubrick sort of influence, but uh, very fluid camera work. Yeah. For people who bitch about it, you know, who oh, don't like the movie. Great. If you if you work, you know, especially now you can see on Blu-ray and the colors are awesome. Right? Yeah. It was a special uh, 16 millimeter camera that you could get uh, a finer grain. So it wasn't even shot on 35. And uh, but 16 millimeters it tends to like make the colors more intense. Yeah, I didn't never thought of that. <laughs> but yeah, because it's all focused into a smaller negative. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that that's something that. Um, I really wasn't expecting on the rewatch because I probably haven't seen the movie in three years or so. I wasn't expecting the camera work to be so fluid because there's a lot of times where it's, you know, it it looks like it must be on, on a dolly, you know, it's, this thing's on a track or something. And then all of a sudden it's following someone up the stairs and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, uh, previous to the invention of the Steadicam, I believe by a few years. And that probably wouldn't have been in their budget anyway. So looked great. Any favorite moments in the movie? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Name as many as you want. Oh, my God. The build-up at the beginning. Yeah, I, I just love it all the way build through. Up, the end, the yeah. family. The, <laughs> the, the killing. The killing, the, the not seeing the killing. <laughs> yeah, they made this thing for under $300,000 which is kind of mind-blowing. I think just no one got paid very yeah. well. <laughs> I think that was kind of the big thing. Made thirty over $30 million at the domestic box office. Damn. That's a lot of return on the investment. Mm-hmm. So it's the little movie that could. But it, it got an R rating, which isn't surprising. I remember the rumor was back in the day, it was supposed to get an X. Well, it's not that bad. It's not deep throat. Heaven forbid. <laughs> I know, like, uh, uh, so I didn't see this for a long time, but um, just heard about it. So the, the hoop of things I'd seen were Salem's Lot was the first one. Yes. Which is uh, terrific. What was the little boy's name that floats in the window? Uh, Ralphie Glick. Glick, the Glick boy. Yeah. Yeah, that's just oh, such a classic scene. Everyone yeah. talked about that at school. Yeah. 
the, the bald vampire and the glick boy were the yep, kind of yep. the things that everyone got stuck on. Yeah, very scary stuff. Yeah, that was made for TV miniseries, wasn't it? Yeah, so it was like a two-night thing. And then he did a theatrical version for Europe. Yeah. Yeah, that was a... Yeah, that was kind of groundbreaking. I mean, a lot of people had read the book, but people who weren't reading horror novels were like, oh, there's a scary thing on TV. Little did they know it was going <laughs> to mess with their heads. Yeah, yeah. Close the blinds. <laughs> the Glick Boy might be out there. Right. Yeah. Tapping on the glass. <laughs> so did you... Um, so the hype didn't ruin it, um, mm-hmm. and you were impressed. Yep. Uh, as far as... His, directorial style i mean what is it what do you think um sets him apart toby hooper that's what i was trying to think of what what is his flourish that you and you see it and you this know. one I, I feel it's like lightning in a bottle it, uh he's not reproduced it since okay and i'm not sure if he's actually tried to but this is the circumstances it was made under yeah the harsh conditions and everything and the the time it was uh you know the the energy that they could put into it at that point yeah uh it's just like nothing else it's this really raw experience so uh once they're especially once it's down to marilyn chambers yeah uh it's just i can't think of the filmmaking you just experience it what's going on you okay know? yeah kind of lose track of it uh you know oh that's a neat technique and yeah how they yeah, do that yeah. is just this like sensation yeah and, and then just get exhausted at the end of it you know yeah it is like an exhausting else. watch yeah yeah you, you, you so the end of it is just like is this sudden cut off mm-hmm. and you hear this like roaring buzz and then that's it, and then you just, <gasps> you know, yeah, you've really been through something. When you watch it. One of the notes that I wrote while watching it was that that uh, that um, Toby Hooper's putting the viewer in the first person sort of POV, mm-hmm. uh, although he's not. You're not seeing it through the main character's eyes, right. but you feel like you are. It's not the sh- the shots not set yeah, up you're that right way. With them. Yeah, you're you're alongside. Uh, Sally and you're terrified you know you're you're not seeing it through her eyes you're not seeing it first person but you feel like you are and that and that's that's pretty cool that he's got that ability he also did a lot of interesting stuff where he's viewing through the environments like like mm-hmm. through the dirty window yeah it's like the, the the very opening it sets it up as this cosmic horror it's like apocalyptic this is Everything you held dear is coming to an end. Right. Um, it's just this malevolent universe. Um, Your safety that you take for granted is yeah. is so you, not there. So you know these kids, they're doomed. Uh, so like you have all these, sh- you know, the, the the whole landscape is just, it's it's uh, not a benign world they're in. Right. Um, it doesn't look threatening at first, but it turns out to no. be completely unforgiving. Right. And what I kind of gathered from it was 
it seems like the carefree kids who are just out having fun are being punished for being carefree. Uh, I don't know if you guys got that at all from the movie, but it, it felt almost like Toby Hooper wasn't being critical of like this um, free spirit, hippie kind of vibe that was in the air. Even if you weren't a per se hippie, mm-hmm. um, you could you could be uh, sort of like-minded in a way. And it felt like they were being punished for being that way. And I, and I kind of wondered about, you know, like with the energy crisis and fuel shortage of the time. And sure enough, it popped up in an interview that, uh, you know, the reason that the gas station was out of gas and the reason they're like, oh, I'll leave my guitar and a note and we'll just take some gas from this pump on the farm and we'll come back and give them some money. And that whole bit, um, it really was. And, and I've got a quote written down here. Um, they were asking in an interview about the, was this movie speaking about the social climate at the time? And Hooper said, well, 100%. We were out of gas in the country at the time, and it boiled up in those times. It's all true. The content of the film, actually. People were out of jobs. They were out of gas at the gas station. And it was just a bad scene. Yeah. There were lines and the pumps were empty, you know, and that's something that I thought was interesting. But yeah, it's like the Hooper thing is to give you the slow build and preview the horror that's going to happen and then just unleash the horror Mm -hmm. finally at a point when you're still not ready for it. Gotten a little glimpse at it, but now all of a sudden you're in it, which is great. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, when you have Psycho and uh, Night of the Living Dead where you have, you think there's going to be a traditional people going into a horrific situation uh, but then it, it's there's something different it, it's some, yeah it, these things are not you know traditional things are falling apart they're not working they're, they're yeah you know the, the people are, the family members are bickering with each other and um, the country's breaking down and well, the whole universe seems against them and you kind of want stability from other people you meet. And immediately everyone they meet in this area is just kind of out of their mind. Like nobody is stable or responsible or truly helpful. Everybody's just sort of batshit crazy, which kind of gives you no net. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, you have nothing, nothing but your own wits. And that's not even enough sometimes. Mm-mm. And a note that I made while watching this was the hopelessness in this movie is not something common in those days. Or from your older movies you'd watch during this time. Like yeah. if, if you were to turn on like a Saturday afternoon or a Saturday night horror movie and you were watching something like The Wolfman, okay, well, maybe some gypsy is going to get killed off. But the main characters are going to be okay. And you get used to that idea. And then you watch Psycho, and here comes a spoiler on a movie where that's not the main subject. But uh, the main character, uh, who you think is going to be the main character, is dead, what, oh, no. 10, 15 minutes into the movie? It's quite way into the movie. Yeah, it's is longer it, than that. Is it longer than that? I know there's 20, the setup before she... minutes or so before yeah. she... Yeah, because she does hit the road... After Maybe 10 even minutes. longer. I don't remember. It's been a while since I've watched Psycho, but it's the first reel anyway. Yeah, it's the first reel, <laughs> and she's dead. Yeah, it's longer than that because like it sets up the whole 
she's relationship got the with the boyfriend and, uh-huh, the, the, and the dealings the embezzling they're getting up to. Scheme yeah. and, and then she's her running out. And, it, and you think the cop is right. is pulling her over and you're like, oh shit, how's she going to get out yeah. of this? And then she ends up at a motel and you think Norman be okay. Bates is just this whole, kind of... Like the first half hour is like this noir yeah. plot and you think that's what it's going to be and then it just stops. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's... That that movie is over. That plot is done. <laughs> is this the first movie to do that? I feel like it Psycho is. Psycho is. Yeah. Psycho, yeah. yeah. And from 1960, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, from 60 to 74, not a lot of their movies did it. I mean, no. it wasn't really common. And the movies you would get, like I said, on television, you didn't see this. And here's Texas Chainsaw Massacre where, oh, well, you know, hopefully the gang is going to make it. No, they get handily dispatched one by one. Yeah, very fast. Yeah. It's not like a slasher. I don't think I don't think of this as a slasher movie. A lot of people do. But, uh, yeah, they, they turn up and, and, what, 10 minutes? Yeah. Everyone but her is dead. Pretty much. Or... Uh, or uh, otherwise stashed away. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're, they're just clonked suddenly, and they're gone. Yeah. The guy with the curly hair and the glasses? Man, he, he went in to help. <laughs> he wasn't a lot of help. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, one in the freezer. You got him clocked in the head. Uh, what's his name in the wheelchair? Um, he didn't make it much longer. Yeah, the whole thing was just one, two, three. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. But, the, you know, if you think about it, though, outside of how quickly they're picked off, um, and then the last one is terrorized, the final girl is terrorized, Sally, um, there's definitely stuff that did get used in slasher movies later on, as far as masks and pointy weapons, mm-hmm. you know, and, and popping out unexpectedly. You know, I, I would say yeah. I like Michael Myers' style better as far as how he sort of appears out of the shadows. But Leatherface definitely, you know, did this movie did set some of the groundwork for that to be useful. And we've had a lot of it since. So um, what about Funhouse? Have, have you watched that lately? Oh, yeah. Uh, not for a couple of years, but. You know, I finished. I uh, liked it a lot. Yeah, I finished watching it last night. Had you seen <clears> it before? Um, I hadn't, which is funny because I loaned you that that multi movie DVD. Yeah, it's on there. I, I got. That's it. the first time I'd seen it. I'd never seen it before a year or so ago. Yeah, you're however old. long we've been doing this thing. Right. <laughs> Two years. Two years. Six years. Who knows? <laughs> it just they feels... all blend together after a while. Feels like six years. Once they make the documentary, they'll sort out the dates. Yeah. I hope so. <laughs> Got to put the dates at the end. Chewing the scenery. Garden shed. Podcasts. Hipster scene. <laughs> twenty fifteen to twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a good run. <laughs> yeah, my favorite bit in that bits in that movie the the guy who plays the various characters around the uh the fun fair mm-hmm. like, especially when he's the barker and he's he's so sleazy yeah <laughs> it's alive yeah it just makes you crawl yeah he you, you can tell that he stinks mm-hmm. just looking at him 
And uh, if you like that movie, the uh, there's a novelization by Dinar Koontz. Yeah. I think he did it under a pseudonym. Yeah. Well, but he, that's uh, really good. Yeah, I can't remember what his pseudonym is right now. Mm. That's funny. We were talking about novelizations just before we picked you up. Oh, okay. They're yeah. like collectability has gone through the roof mm-hmm. which is weird but cool it's because there's not i mean people read them once and threw them away yeah or right. gave them away i remember i read a whole bunch of those at some point probably yeah. between about fourth and sixth grade was you know alien and right yeah once i realized that they were based on the screenplays before mm-hmm. so like uh, so I, I read all the Alan Dean Foster ones yeah like, starting with The Thing I think yeah I read The Thing and and, see all the bits that were cut out uh huh and we I remember getting Terminator 2 mm. and being excited because the movie wasn't coming out for till the summer right. but they put the novelization out in like February <laughs> or something so I really want to uh a release I'd really like is the soundtrack of Texas Chainsaw because it's all this like these strange noises and music oh, yeah. concrete. And, has that ever come out? I, not that I know of, but not that it I tells know. you at the end. It tells you what all the songs are. They're always are, in yeah. the credits that this soundtrack is now available. Oh, from, I don't know. Well, <laughs> usually, been there, yeah, but usually it would usually, say that. But. Yeah. Because we were laughing last night at Poltergeist. Like, who the hell would buy this soundtrack? Somebody who's available on cassette and record, you know. Right. Like, Someone who was planning to get rich later. Have you heard the soundtrack to Poltergeist? It's bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's very whimsical for the movie. I really enjoy Poltergeist. I think it's fun, but... Uh, so what are your other Hooper favorites? Um, what else has he done? Oh, the one with the alligator guy? Oh, Eaten Alive. Eaten Alive, mm. yeah, that was one we watched. <laughs> um, yeah, I like that one. I remember... I, you, you remember uh, a few weeks ago, I, I said, oh, let's get something from our list, because I wrote like five movies down that I, I keep hearing about, but yeah. hadn't seen yet. Body Bags was on that list. Okay. I have not seen that. I don't know if I've seen that one. We, we went with Street Trash. It's but fun. Yeah. It is. Okay. Um, body Bags. But uh, yeah, Life Force, um, Fun House, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, God, what are some other ones? Well, the Invaders from Mars. Invaders from Mars, yeah. Um... See, after, after I, I haven't seen his director video ones. So he did uh, remakes and things like. Uh, so he did the Toolbox Massacre. Uh, he did one called Spontaneous Combustion. Uh, Gene, I think, was the last one he finished. Hmm. Um, and he had various projects he was working on that fell through. Yeah. But I, I've not seen any of those. I think I. So I saw Invaders from Mars. I saw uh, the Mangler. Which I've seen the Mangler. Definitely has some good moments in it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, once it was all direct to video, I wasn't. I yeah, didn't, I didn't watch they, any of his direct to video stuff. They weren't easy to find. No. And hard to trust. I wasn't that interested. And <laughs> hard to trust, yeah. Yep. Because yeah, The Mangler has some good bits, but mm-hmm. it's not. Yeah. I don't know. I remember being disappointed by it ultimately. Right. So it's that post mid 80s yeah. pump, you know? So I really like Texas Chainsaw 2. 
Yeah, I like Texas Chainsaw 2 a lot. Nobody was expecting I had not the... seen that until this podcast because <laughs> oh, I had heard no good reviews of it. Okay. I heard nothing but bad, like, oh, it's it's so bad, it's awful. And not in a good way. Like, uh-huh. the first one, it was not, yeah. you know, like, this will scare the pants off you. Right. This was like, this is terrible. <laughs> but I really enjoyed it because mm-hmm. it was so over the top. <laughs> Just so weird. Yeah. I mean, it knows what it is. I, I mean, mean, he was making a comedy, but yeah. a horrifying comedy. But If somebody wow. had told me... Dennis Hopper was in it with chainsaws. I probably would have watched it a lot sooner. Oh, but yeah. They did not mention that. After you got a taste of him as Frank Booth in Blue Velvet. Yeah. Mm. It's like anything he was in you wanted to see. After The Hitcher, anything with Rutger Hauer. Well, actually, no, Blade Runner. But but after he played The Hitcher, anything Rutger Hauer was in I wanted to see. And then finally, after a point, I didn't anymore. Yeah. You know how that goes. They make a they make a few bad choices. Tim, Tim Burton makes a Planet of the Apes movie, and you just write him all off. You're like, <laughs> fuck you, Tim Burton. That's it. Yeah. You had one job, and you messed it up so bad. I will never watch anything you make again. I will never forgive you. So, Funhouse. Let's 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 talk about. Okay, how was Rick Baker able to do American Werewolf in London? And make it look so good, but then the mask on this, this, uh, this crazy kid with the he had the Frankenstein mask, but then his monster face that's underneath it didn't look great. Really, I love the mm. face on this. I like the style of it. It just did. I didn't believe it was really somebody's face. It felt like another mask under a mask. Really, I was. I, I don't. It was horrifying, but it didn't. Yeah, I liked his face a lot in this. I thought this was great. Yeah, it just looked like something that you normally see in a floating in a jar. Yeah, yeah. like some pickled punk that lived. Mm. Right. You know, yeah, I thought his face was great. I liked the style, but I didn't believe it was really a face. Okay. I thought it was just another mask. So that, that was my one problem with how... That's quite the disparity between what you see in American Werewolf and then that mask i'm thinking man it's just not the same level budget could be budget constraints for sure time Mm, yeah you know he devoted all his time on american werewolf (laughs) yeah he wouldn't have had time to do funhouse funhouse yeah how did the funhouse have a basement most funhouses have basements where they keep the extra fun <laughs> well this one was mobile so it didn't make sense that it maybe it was that Are you saying trailers don't have basements have i been misled <laughs> you've been misled uh so i enjoyed ha- having not seen this thing um i enjoyed it quite a bit oh, i uh, had a lot of fun watching funhouse it's just so over the top and oh yeah there are people trapped in a funhouse with a killer yeah. Snake person, I mean. Did you ever get to go on one of these dark rides? Oh, yeah, they were great. Yeah, they were like... They I'm... were always like the lamest thing imaginable once <laughs> you got inside. Most of the gadgets didn't work or worked poorly. Or and, had visible wear. Yeah, I, oh, it always had wiz- visible wear. Everything always looked... And by the time it got to New Mexico, it had been around the country. <laughs> right. Uh the best one was my little cousin. We took her in one, and she didn't react to anything at all. 
till the very end, some voice was saying, it's only the beginning. <laughs> she lost it. She totally lost it. My cousin and I were freaked out the whole time, but <laughs> that was too much for her. We had a uh, semi-permanent amusement park in uh, the greater Chicago area. It was called Playland. It was only open, of course, during the summer months, so basically Memorial Day to Labor Day. Um, and this had a dark ride. I think it was just called the Spook House or something. And it was like the chain-driven cart that you sit in. And first thing, it bashes through a couple of doors to open them, and it goes completely dark. And now I know what that smell is. It's the fireproofing. You know, there's like a... like just a weird smell to the place. And it's like, what is that? The air is like super still Mm -hmm. and has a, like a, not, I wouldn't call it a chemical smell, but it's sort of a chemical smell. And it's a, it's the flame retardant stuff that they have to paint on to have it be building code. So you get in there and it smells like nothing you've ever smelled before. And it's completely dark and all of a sudden eyes are lighting up and they hit you with buzzers and blasts of air, Mm -hmm. which makes the crappy effects. (coughs) kind of scarier well yeah kind of mildly scary when you're five or six it's all kind of scary because you're on a dark ride and uh, they actually had an alligator that popped out of a hole in a wall and (laughs) some guy behind bars that lit up and his eyes would spin or whatever and all this crazy crap and the thing probably was you're probably in there under a minute i mean you're a kid you don't know you just yeah give them however many tickets and you get in the cart and there you go uh but I remember those things pretty well. I would have never imagined wanting to be in one of them overnight. But hmm. It wasn't as elaborate as the one in the movie. No. Did you have anything like that in England? No, not where I was anyway. No ghost I, trains? Didn't have any permanent fanfares. Or fun. Only, no. <laughs> I mean, there was one uh, fair that came to town and they had this little haunted house thing that I wanted to see and it was just... It was just pitch dark, and then uh, they'd have things suspended from the ceiling that brush you. And mm-hmm. every so often, there'd be a, a lit up booth, and there'd be a skeleton or something in it. It's just that's kind of what they had in New Mexico. They never had the cars, right? You just walked through. Oh. Yeah, yeah. You know. So yeah, I've not really seen a good one. Yeah, there, there's, there's fewer of the old. Um, dark ride where you actually ride in the cart. There's fewer of them now than before. And it's worth mentioning that there's somebody who's documenting these with like a 3D camera Mm. and it's called the Dark Ride Project. So if you look that up, it's kind of cool. They're traveling and documenting them before they close once and for all because a lot of them are getting lost to the world. Kind of like drive-in movie theaters you know, do we have to save everything <laughs> no we don't can't we just throw some stuff away and be done with it can't we go hey there used to be dark rides no there's no examples of it anymore and like we... old comedy skits and marx brothers bits that you would read about people like it was the most hilarious thing you've ever saw i don't remember any lines of it or there's no real written record come on yeah there used to be victrolas that's why people pay three hundred dollars for a Halloween novelization, <laughs> right? Or a hundred dollars. When when I got into Clive Barker, he he mentioned um, there was this one of the European ones uh, called the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. and uh, it, so it's just covered with all these crude paintings. Yeah, but you know how how sometimes like crudely done 
horror art. Uh-huh. Really creepy. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And so there's this, there's this big one called The Apocalypse, I think it's in Germany. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, he, he raved about that one, and I thought, oh, I've got to see this. And then I found this big book of like pictures of fundraising. It had the apocalypse in there. It was, it was awesome. Nice. I'll look it up. So I, I don't know if that's still around, but yeah. Someone's preserved it in 3D. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, there, there was this big book of these huge photos. You know, so. Look, mommy, the apocalypse. The apocalypse. <laughs> so um, I definitely think Funhouse is one that if our listeners haven't seen it, mm. go ahead and watch it. We don't need to spoil it. It's... Uh, it's not hard to find. I know it's on Amazon Prime. Um, that's how I watched it. I didn't even go yeah, across the room and get and put... the DVD <laughs> no, out. I love uh, that. Uh, Screen Factory did a like collector's edition of it. Oh. Yeah, there's a there's a few weird things about it that uh, were kind of hard to reconcile. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, the kid creeping on his older sister while she's naked in the shower. What's up with that kid? <laughs> Who hasn't done that? <laughs> well apart from people who don't have sisters I guess I don't know it, I mean if he had just yanked open the shower curtain and thrown some ice water on her <laughs> I can understand but uh, yeah he was he was being kind of weird but I don't need to pick that so one what, apart it's is, just a is fun that one movie. of your favorite Hooper ones then? Um, Funhouse is new to me but I enjoy it yeah for sure I, I watched it well bits and pieces the first time and then a committed viewing of it just last night and I enjoyed it. Mm. Um, I am due for a rewatch of life force. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I liked it, I but I want to see that again, but yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't remember enough about it to say that I would recommend it or not. Oh, definitely. Is yeah, it, is that, good that's one. good. Okay. Yeah. Life force is a good that's one. That's just sheer entertainment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I totally forgotten. That was one of his movies. Mm-hmm. You know? For some reason, his name didn't click with me as much as a child, as right. somebody I sought out. <clears throat> yeah, like Carpenter or yeah. Spielberg or whomever. Yeah. Um, if we could circle back around the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there were some interesting uh, facts about... Um, first thing I want to mention is, if anyone doesn't know this, I'll have to tell you now, John Larroquette does the opening narration, mm-hmm. who you might know as Dan Fielding from Night Court, 1984 to 1992. Um, when was that? What was it called? 84 to 92. Night Court. 84 yeah. to 92, really? They had a good run. They, well, they yeah. had a run, a long one, but yeah. I won't <laughs> use the G word for right. Night Court. Oh, uh, but, uh, what am I saying? I love Night Court. I write a lot of Night Court fanfic now. It's all up on the web. How about the novelization series? <laughs> I like the Night Court Choose Your Own Adventure ones. <laughs> How about the Night you Court Mad ju- Libs? Those are oh, great. <laughs> you be the judge. <laughs> That's right. Um, so, yeah, that was John Larroquette who did the opening narration. Um, the filming was done primarily uh, in an early 1900s farmhouse near Round Rock, Texas. Um, that building, that house has been relocated somewhere nearby and is now a restaurant um best uh-huh. chili in town yeah. mm. <laughs> i wonder if they even nod to it or if they try to like not talk <laughs> about it we don't talk about the ingredients here right um let's see uh when they were making the movie as you mentioned before it was very hot and humid and the temperatures and we'll we'll translate this for our european listeners um 
but uh, the temperatures peaked at 110 degrees Fahrenheit, which would be 40, 43 degrees centigrade. Um, do you say centigrade or do you say Celsius? Do you care? Do you, do you say both? I can't remember. The, the one, the C word. Now everybody just uses Fahrenheit here in America. We don't use this. We don't use the, the, the C word. Talking about. Um, let's see. It was filmed. Let's see. That peaked at 110 degrees or 43 on July 26th. Uh, Hansen, Gunnar Hansen, who played Leatherface, later recalled it was 9,500 degrees like every day during filming. They wouldn't wash my costume because they were worried the laundry might lose it or that it would change color. They didn't have enough money for a second costume, so I wore the mask and the costume 12 to 16 hours a day, seven oh, days a week for a month. Uh, yeah. So if the dead animals on set didn't stink, I'm sure the people did. Uh, the actors could not have smelled good. I mentioned before the Eclair NPR camera, the 60-millimeter camera. It was fine-grain, low-speed film. It required four times more light than what a digital camera today would mm. require. But that's not saying much because digital cameras can pick up a lot more. Um, but it did require proper lighting or the director or the cinematographer knowing how to use their ambient light properly and get a good exposure. Um, let's see. Uh, the set decoration. I wondered about this while watching this. And so I did a little reading afterward and... Um, most of the filming took place in the farmhouse, which was filled with furniture constructed from animal bones and latex material made to look like skin, you know, so that's stitched together and whatnot. Um, the house was not air conditioned. There was not any ventilation to speak of. And the crew had used uh, animal blood on the walls from the local slaughterhouse. So that place stunk, I'm sure. Um if you've ever been within, say, a half mile of a slaughterhouse or or a pig farm or a cattle farm, you can smell it from far, far away. Yeah. It's pretty gross. Like on I-70 here in the greater Denver area, you can smell the dog food factory way before you're near it. Oh, yeah. You drive out east. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's pretty it's bad. It's distressing. So um, art director Robert A. Burns drove around the countryside and collected the remains of cattle and other animals in various stages of decomposition. And they used that on the floors and every level surface. All the rotting skin and bones and crap were pretty real. Because I had made a note when I was watching it. Uh, let's see, what did I write here? The bone budget must have been out of control. <laughs> Apparently the bone budget uh, wasn't a problem because they were just found bones. Um, special effects were simple and limited by budget. Uh, in some cases, the blood was real. Yeah. And you know the famous scene where they're going to feed where Grandpa? she gets cut, yeah. Yeah, she's actually cut, and that's actually blood. Yeah, because they couldn't get the effect to work. Yeah, there's some blood tube that wouldn't flow properly. And everyone was so demented by the time that, you know, they were struggling to get it shot. And they just went, oh, deal with it. Everybody's just in, in agreement. Let's cut her finger. She's like, yeah, cut the finger, I don't care. <laughs> Just get it filmed. And John Dugan is like, I'll drink the blood. I don't care. Let's, can we just wrap sometime in the next, oh, I don't know, 10 hours? So uh, uh, let's see. Um, let's see. Burns's costume was so drenched in stage blood that it was, quote unquote, virtually solid by the end of shooting. Um, let's see. The scene in which Leatherface decapitates Kirk with a chainsaw. 
uh, worried the actor William Vale very much. And after telling Vale to stay still or get killed by accident, uh, Hansen brought the running chainsaw within three inches of his face, um, which that would be eight centimeters to our European listeners. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, everybody on the planet except us. Uh, you got the metric system and you call soccer football when we get that backward. So anyway, um, a real hammer was used for the scene with grandpa toward the end, but you know, they had the fake hammer too, but it was getting dangerous, dangerously close to the actress's head. Um, and Hooper is quoted as saying that everyone hated me by the end of the production. And it kind of, he said it took years for them to just kind of cool off. <laughs> I think that's what a director has to do. You know. I think by the end of shooting, everyone should hate you. They should. You know. <laughs> like um, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. He, he wrecked Shelley Duvall's brain. He broke that woman. If you listen to that, that Shockwaves episode, there's a very cute story about Hooper meeting Kubrick. Really? Oh. Yeah. I've got to listen to this. Yeah, you check it out. That's a good show. I like them. So those are some uh, bits and pieces I thought I'd share that uh, that kind of uh, make something that's already plenty colorful enough uh, mm. more interesting when you next time you watch it. Just knowing that that stuff is just that gross and the whole set probably stunk really bad. I I am surprised there's not more fly buzzing noises. Yeah. I don't know. It's so. too hot for even the flies. <laughs> the flies are like, no, thanks. I'm good. Um, so anything else you want to add about Toby Hooper before we bid him so, farewell? So what are your favorite ones? Um, definitely Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, is the standout, mm-hmm. Yeah, naturally. I always did like Life Force, but haven't given it a rewatch in years. Um, same with Invaders from Mars. I couldn't tell you a single thing. That To me, that's a mind eraser right there. I can't remember anything about it. Texas Chainsaw 2, fond memories of that. Yeah. And we did watch it recently for the show. I, that, it's fun. Um, there's been more than a year. It's been more than a year. <laughs> that's crazy, isn't it? Um, but I would say, um, yeah, that pretty much covers it for me. I mean, I, I, I can't say that... Uh, I want to weigh in on the whole poltergeist controversy, but I do think it's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some things about it that you can tell the time it belongs to. And you can't be a little bitch about things being dated, quote unquote dated. It is what it is. You know, there are things that they did in the eighties that they did in the eighties. What are you going to do? <laughs> but I think overall it's, it's as timeless as it can be for when it was made. You know uh, what? watching it i'm just glad the tv now runs all night yeah so the tv people don't come through yeah because it never goes to static anymore so thank you cnn because they started the 24-hour news thing and that you know it it goes to infomercials now instead Mm -hmm. of static yeah no more do you hear the national anthem and uh, yeah it's still it would startle you awake Uh (laughs) uh-huh I remember a lot of times falling asleep to that and waking up to the national anthem. And they would always have some dumb montage of a, a bunch of national monuments. Uh-huh. One fading into the next I, and some I jets going over and flags flapping. 
<laughs> I fell asleep after Saturday Night Live. Yep. So there'd be some other show after. There'd it. be something after it, wrestling yeah. or something. <laughs> now it's just infomercials. Yeah. It's terrible. It is. But uh, favorites? Did you have your I list? Think the, I think. Poltergeist is probably my favorite Toby Hooper movie that he didn't track. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, and I've just been able to add Funhouse. My favorite Toby Hooper movie directed by Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure our listeners understand that they're not they, gonna they're not gonna get mad. Oh, I'm sure they will with our yank accents and our bullshit. <laughs> our mumbling. <laughs> Poor microphones. Hey, we'll replace them someday. And our lack of information or any real depth. (laughs) Pretty much any effort at all, really. Yeah, effort at all. Any effort. Hey, look, we're just hanging out. Yeah. If you don't like hanging out, you know where the stop button is, right? All right. Well, with that, let's stop. Well, let's let's hit the stop next button. week. Right. So uh, rest in peace, Toby Hooper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you gave us plenty. Yes. And yes. Not all of it was great, but plenty of it was really good. Uh, oh, Salem's Lot also Salem's on the list. Lot, yeah. yeah. Salem's Lot. Yeah. I think Chainsaw and Salem's Lot. Yeah. I'm due and for a rewatch on. Force my favorite three. Yeah. Due for a rewatch on Salem's Lot too. But, I'm going to have to watch The Dark or whatever. See how that one is. Yeah. Since it's on Netflix, might as well. And Eaten Alive and Body Bags. Those are two I have not seen. So. I've seen Body Eaten Bags Alive. Is oh, is it Carpenter? Oh. I've never seen it. Why did I have that mixed in here? Well, he, yeah, he hosts it. Does he direct all the segments? Oh, okay. It's an anthology then. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I don't know. I've not seen it. It's got I don't, Debbie I, Harry and Mark Hamill in it. I don't know anything about it. Uh, John John Carpenter is this like mortician mm. who hosts it. Oh, I like that. Mark Hamill, he's never been good in anything. Always good. <laughs> he's good <laughs> as the Joker. Summer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're just, just being kidding. you're being a contrarian. because yeah. <laughs> he's good as the Joker. Is he? Yeah, absolutely. He's a great Joker voice. He's not whiny like Luke Skywalker. Come on. All right. Well, uh, goodbye, Toby Hooper. And listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, we'll be back with episode 99 next time. Mm. We're going to be out of double digits soon. Yeah. Crazy, huh? We ran out of movies to talk about a long time ago. Right. (laughs) Yeah, we're just coasting now. All right. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening. And stay off the moors.